Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. Well, hey, everybody. If you have your Bibles, you guys can go ahead and get those out. We're going to be in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 2 more specifically. But hey, Before we jump into that, I wanted to share something with you. I want to talk about trends, trends that I've seen in society, cultural trends, fashion trends that I've seen around. Now, I know when I bring up the word trends for some of us, we start to think of maybe some trends that we were involved in, you were involved in, and it brings back good memories. It brings back uh, nostalgia at the point where you see, see, you're like, yeah, I remember when that jacket was cool. I I wish I could still wear it, but people would make fun of me if I wore it now because nobody wears that jacket anymore. So for some of us, it brings back good memories when we think about trends, and then there's others of us in here when we think about trends that maybe we were involved in. We are filled with sorrow and guilt and embarrassment and confusion as to why we ever were involved in those trends in the first place. But I've been noticing some trends in society recently, and I wanted to share some of those trends that I've seen. So if these are any of you, don't, don't feel ashamed, but they're interesting. Okay. <laughs> Here's the first trend that I've seen. The mullet. This is an interesting trend. This is something interesting going on. Now, I'm, I'm from the South, and so in the South, this is described as business up front, party in the back. That's what this haircut is described as. And it's interesting. Now, I know I'm, you know, I'm not the most qualified person to be talking about hair, but this is like, this is, this is interesting. This is interesting. And uh, I was speaking with Ryan Cameron, who's on staff here just a couple weeks ago, ironically enough, about mullets. And we, we were talking, and he would shared a, just a few weeks ago, he had gone to get his haircut, and um, as he was waiting to get his haircut, this young man, this teenager, comes around the corner, and he has a mullet, and, and Ryan just felt compelled to say, why? Like, <laughs> like, what's going on? So he walks up to this young man and says, hey, man, why, why a mullet? And the, guy's respond, the young man's response was, well, I saw it on TV. The guy on Stranger Things has it, so I want it. He looks good, so maybe I look good now. So... I, I, I guess that's a reason. I guess that's a reason. The next one, this might hit close to home for some of you, but here's another trend that I've seen recently. Crocs, the, the shoe that looks like a slice of cheese laying on your feet. Yes. <laughs> if you have never worn these before, let me go ahead and give you a heads up about Crocs. You must wear socks with them. You have to. If not, it will rip your skin off. It's awful. It's horrible. But as I was studying Crocs, I know that's weird, but as I was studying and looking into them, I learned something interesting about them. These Crocs, they have that strap right there on the back. That strap allows you to be in two different modes. So the first mode is when you move that strap all the way to the front. That's called casual mode. That's for going to the store, a first date, an anniversary dinner, Moments, moments that you want to cherish forever. That's when you put it in casual mode. And then, oh gosh, what am I talking about? And then you can move that strap to the back, and when that strap's on your heel, that's called sport mode. And that's for getting places quickly, getting things done. Why am I still talking about Crocs? All right. And the last one, the last trend is, man, this is an interesting one. Here it is, mom jeans. <clears throat> Oh, man. Oh, man. 
man, some ladies in here. Oh, so sorry. Um, Leah Kurtz, who's on staff here at the church, she was just up leading worship for us just a little bit ago. She wears mom jeans. And... <laughs> I was, talk, I was talking to her beforehand. I didn't want her to be uh, upset with me. And I said, hey, just so you know, I've seen mom jeans is a big trend coming back now. And she said, I know. I said, I don't want you to think I'm taking a shot. She was like, I would never think that. And then she went on to describe the new trend, these, this, this new mom jean trend. She said, all you need is to tuck your shirt in, put a belt on, put your mom jeans on, and then roll the, the bottoms up and then throw some white sneakers on. And that's the new trend. So women, if you have that in your closet, you can be in style by the end of the afternoon. By the afternoon, you can be up to date because that's what's going on right now. Now, I know, I know these are funny, and I know we've been talking about some, some funny trends, but I, but I want you guys to hang with me here for just a second as I try to make a spiritual shift in the room. I want to make a spiritual shift. One of, these, one of the things about trends is that they're not consistent. They're not here forever. They're not always going to be there. One day that trend is really cool, and you should be involved in that trend, and that trend is what everybody is doing. But then what happens is then something else comes along, and that trend is no longer in style. That trend dies off. That trend is no longer accepted. That trend is not what everybody else is doing. And we can look at those trends and we can learn something about them as it pertains to the kingdom of God. Because when we open up our Bibles and we start reading throughout the scriptures, one of the things that we can learn pretty quickly is that there are characteristics, there are aspects inside the kingdom of God that God has called all of us who call ourselves followers of him to adopt in our everyday lives in our everyday life, characteristics, attributes, qualities that we're called to live by as Christians, characteristics that don't go out of style, characteristics that don't die off. As I was thinking about these different characteristics, I was reminded of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. The fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In Ephesians chapter 4, it, it urges us to be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In Ephesians chapter 4, later on in that same chapter, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. In Romans chapter 12, it says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Here's the cool thing about these trends. Culture can't touch these trends. Culture can't touch these qualities and attributes and characteristics like love, forgiveness, joy, compassion, kindness, honor, and love. Traits that God has, ch has challenged and urged all of us to live our lives by. When God tells us and when Jesus urges us and says, hey, you should love your neighbor, you should love your neighbor. When Jesus and God, when they call us to be kind, we should be kind. When they call us to be courageous and generous, we should be courageous and we should be generous. Now, I want you to know it's not easy, and that's okay to admit. It's okay to be honest and to admit that it's not easy all the time in our everyday lives to carry out these qualities, to carry out these traits in our good interactions and especially and our bad interactions. 
But the Bible all throughout Scripture has challenged us and urged us to be people who, who portray these traits, who carry these traits, that these qualities and these characteristics are a part of our DNA. They're a part of our culture. Another way that I like to put it is this, is that we are called to be people whose lives are gospel-centered. We're called to live a gospel-centered life. Now, that's an interesting word, gospel, and I'm sure many of us, if you've been around in the church for at least some period of time, you've probably heard that word before, gospel, and some of us even know what it means, but, but I want us to understand, so we're all on the same page, as to what I mean and what I'm talking about when I say gospel. Now, gospel translated through the Greek is good news. It's good news, and, and it is good news. When you think about the good news, there's some really good news. But, but, but I want us to understand exactly what I mean. What is that good news? Let's all get on the same page here. What is that good news? Dr. Tim Mackey described the Christian gospel this way. It's on the screen. The Christian gospel is the announcement that Jesus is the divine king of the world who lived, died, and was raised to be the ruler that we so desperately need. When I talk about the gospel and living a gospel-centered life, it's the question of does our life reflect the truth, the good news, the reality that Jesus lived on this earth, a sinless, perfect life. He performed miracles and healings. He taught us how to live our lives and what we should be defined by and things that we should do he was the son of God. He was who he said he was. And then he, was, and then he died, a sinner's death, a death he didn't deserve. But then three days later, he was raised to life to be the ruler that we all so desperately need. Is our life a reflection of that? So here's a challenge question to get us started. Is your life gospel-centered? Is your life gospel-centered? When we think about areas of our lives and our families in our relationships, in our interactions with other people. We think about our boss that maybe we don't like too much. Do we, do we, do we challenge ourselves? Do we aspire to be people whose, whose lives are so gospel-centered on the truth and on the reality and on the good news that Jesus is the ruler, Jesus is the king of the world? So do we live a gospel-centered life? And I would submit to you today that living a gospel-centered life, it's not a trend. It's not something that one day it's great and the next day it's not. That this will never go out of style. It will never die off. That living a gospel-centered life is here to stay. In our text this morning in Galatians, the, uh, the, the author of the Apostle Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia following some news that they have been being taught this counter gospel. These people that have said yes to Jesus, declared Jesus the Messiah, and started following him, they were then taught this counter gospel. And so Paul, Paul starts writing these churches, and he's, and he's pretty like intense in his writings. He's writing these churches saying, brothers and sisters, listen, this is not the way that you live. This is how you live. If you want to live a gospel-centered life, this is what it looks like to truly live a gospel-centered life. And so he issues all these challenges. And in chapter 2 of Galatians, Paul, there's this small section right there at the bottom, right at the end of chapter 2, where Paul issues this really good challenge. And he's essentially saying, hey, listen, you've been being taught this. This is what you've been taught. This is what it truly means to live a gospel-centered life. So we pick up in verse 19. This is what he says. 
For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. The title of today's message is Gospel Culture, Living a Gospel-Centered Life. And there's a couple things I see in this text as to what it means and what it truly means to live a gospel-centered life. But before we jump into that, would you bow your heads and pray with me? So Father God, we pray in this moment right now that you show up, you be real, you be present, be active. Show us, Father, what it looks like to live a gospel-centered life, what it truly means to live a gospel-centered life. Father, I pray that we leave here today differently. For those watching online, I pray that they live differently after, after this recording is over with, Father. So, Father, be with us, speak to us, open up our minds, our hearts, and our ears to receive all you have for us. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, number one, you can fill this in. Point number one, living a gospel-centered life requires a change of perspective. A change of perspective. In that text, it says this. Paul writes, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and here it is right here, and I no longer live. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul says, I no longer live. It's not about me, but instead, it's Christ who lives in me. What Paul is writing here, what Paul is saying is, Paul, every desire, every, every expectation, every want, every need, every fear, every, everything about Paul, he's saying that is now dead. That is no longer here. That is no longer present. In fact, Paul is not just dead. He, he's saying, Paul is gone, and I have exchanged Paul for the perspective of Christ. That the perspective of Paul is no longer. That I don't want the perspective of what Paul would do. I want the perspective of what Christ wants me to do. And that challenge that Paul is writing right there isn't just for him or the churches in Galatia. The truth is, is that challenge is for us today as well. Because the reality is our perspective can be shaky sometimes. Our perspective can be shifted sometimes. I was thinking back to when I said yes to Jesus some years ago. Now, one of the things about me, you got to know, man, I was an idiot. I, was, I don't know if you can say that in church. Maybe, it, yeah, I'm going to say it. I was an idiot. I was just a knucklehead before I met Jesus. That's a nicer way to put it. I was a knucklehead. <laughs> I just was not, I was not doing some good things, and I said yes to Jesus, and when I said yes to Jesus, I made declarations like this, Lord Jesus, I give you everything that I have. All of me, Lord Jesus, you can have. I don't want any camera left over. I want it to all be filled with you, Jesus. And I knew that God had created me to do some big things, that God had put some really good gifts in my life and said, Cameron, I need you to go do this. And I said yes to him. You can have it all. Use me, Father. But what I really said was this, and this is what I was really saying. I said, yes, God, you can have it all, but except for this right here, you can have like 72.5%. I want to hold on to the rest of it. I want to give you all, but you know, there's this certain part of my life that I really enjoy that I don't want to give up yet. That section of my life that was really hard for me to shift my perspective off was, was my friends. 
Now, now I had just recently had gotten a, a, a newer set of friends after I had started to live a little bit better. And these friends, they weren't horrible people. We, we weren't doing anything illegal. But, but these friends, they weren't necessarily pushing me towards who God created me to be, to do the things that God had created me to do. I, I remember we would, we would find ourselves in situations that, honestly, they, they weren't healthy. They weren't good for a follower of Christ to be in. I find myself in situations to be tempted, to be tempted to do things I know I shouldn't be doing. And they would urge me to continue to partake in those. And I would say, okay, well, I don't want to give my friends up, so maybe I'll still be involved in this. I'd be out till 2, 3 in the morning involved in these different things, and so it was affecting what God wanted to use me for the next day. I'd be out late at night. It'd be 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'd say, hey, guys, i got to go to bed. And they'd say, why? Well, i got to play guitar for my church in the morning. <laughs> and they'd say, you got to be up in like three hours. I was like, yeah, I know. You know, and then I'd show up, and you know, I just had this sense that, that God had created me for more. And this one time, I, was, I remember I was, in, I, was, I was praying, and I was reading my Bible, and God spoke to me, and he revealed to me something. He revealed to me that my perspective was still on Cameron. My perspective was still on me. It was still about what I would do, what I was about, what I wanted to do. But he had something different for me. He was like, Cameron, right now you're thinking what you would do. Your eyes are still set on what feels good for you, what you like. But Cameron, what do I want you to do? Have you thought, have you thought about that? But the, but the truth is, the reality is, to hear that, I had to be in the presence of Jesus. I had to allow God to speak to me. That wasn't a lesson that just hit me out of nowhere. It was a lesson that was learned. It was a lesson learned through being in the presence of God. And as Christians, as followers of Christ, we're called to keep in the presence of God because our perspective needs to get realigned sometimes. Our lives need to get realigned sometimes. And we're not going to realign our perspective. We can't realign who we are or our hearts back into who God is calling us to be if we're not spending time with him. If we want transformation, if we want change, it can only happen in one place, and that's in the presence of God. There's a story in scripture of a man named Zacchaeus, and we don't, we don't know a ton about Zacchaeus, but one of the things that we do know is he was a very wealthy man. He was a chief tax collector, and he was well known in that area. He was well known for, for probably being a cheat and a thief and numerous other things. He was probably well-dressed, probably thought of himself higher than he should, but Zacchaeus has this encounter with the Lord, and in this encounter, it changes his life forever. In, in the book of Luke, chapter 19, we're going to look at this story together. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So, he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And here's the cool part. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This is an amazing story in Scripture. Zacchaeus has this encounter with Jesus, and his perspective gets shifted off of him, 
off of Zacchaeus and put onto Jesus and said, I, I, I see what you're doing and I need to shift my view. There's this, the, the scriptures is, is littered with story after story. Another great story, if you haven't read this one before, you should listen to it. It's the story of the woman at the well. It's found in the book of John. This woman who's, who's promiscuous, she's, she's sleeping around. She's doing things she should not be doing. She has this encounter with Jesus at the well, and when she meets Jesus, Jesus challenges her. He calls more out of her, and this once probably very introverted woman, known in her society for what she's doing and what she's about, probably doesn't normally hang out and, and is involved with normal society, she has this encounter with the Lord and doesn't just stay in that moment, but then responds. She gets up and it says in the next chapter that she runs into the city and says, hey, you guys gotta listen to what this man has to say. She goes from this person who is all about her to you gotta hear what Jesus has to say. Our perspective can shift from one moment in the presence of God. There's some of us, there's a lot of us even, maybe even watching online, that we have been praying for supernatural change to happen in our lives. I want you to know, dear friends, supernatural change can happen, but can only happen in the presence of God. It can only happen through Jesus. It can only happen in the presence of our Lord. You can fill this in. A transformed perspective comes from intentional time with God. A transformed perspective comes from intentional time with God. Now, let's be real, let's be honest, doing this isn't super easy. And we can be vulnerable, we can be open with ourselves. Doing this isn't super easy, it's not always the easiest thing to do. One of the reasons why is because we have distractions in our lives. We have distractions in our lives that we should be spending time in the presence of God. We should be spending time with the Lord, but instead, we're out doing something else, off doing something else. I was, I was reminded as I was writing this, this, pass, this message of just a couple months ago, a month or two ago, I woke up and I was just having one of those days. And I'm sure just by saying that, a lot of us know what I mean. Just woke up and was just having one of those days. I woke up and I was filled with anxiety. I can be very anxious sometimes and I woke up and I had, I was filled with this anxiety and I was filled with this worry and this fear. All, my head was just racing with all these what ifs and these expectations I was placing on myself and all these different things that I felt like I needed to get done. I was frustrated, I was angry. And I woke up and I said, you know what? If I go to the gym and I work out for a couple hours, I'll feel better. So I go to the gym start lifting for a couple hours and I leave and I go, well, that didn't work. <laughs> and then I say, you know what? If I get my mountain bike and I go for a ride, that'll make me feel better. So go for a mountain bike ride and get back. That didn't work either. Oh, if I, if I mow the lawn and I do some yard work and then I start, you know what? Uh, you know, I'll start relaxing because then the yard will be off my mind. I can do that. So then I spend a couple hours to do some yard work, and then that doesn't help. I'm still anxious, still filled with what ifs, still frustrated, still angry, still not feeling right. You see, you know what? I just haven't relaxed. I need to just chill on the couch and watch some TV. So I do that. 
then I do this, and then I do that. And what I learned was that none of it worked. And by the time I figured out it's one o'clock in the morning, my eyes are wide open, I'm laying in my bed, and I'm still filled to the roof with anxiety, head racing with all these what-ifs. And it was in that moment, the Lord met me, and it was like a slap, a spiritual slap right to the face. He said, hey, Cameron, did you figure it out yet? I was like, uh-oh, like, uh-oh. Did you get it? Did you figure it out yet? And then he said, is it my turn yet? Is it my turn? And I remember in that moment, I got up from my bed and I ran to my living room. I threw my Bible open, I got on my knees. I was like, Lord, all day I've been trying to replace, replace you, all day. I've been trying, Father, to do on my own, Father, what only you can do. And I want us to learn something. There's a lesson today that we can learn. There's a lesson that we can learn today, and that lesson is this, is that we have moments in our lives where our perspective gets off, where we're frustrated, where something happens. And the world will say, hey, you're anxious? Buy a fidget spinner. Hey, you're anxious? Subscribe to this. Hey, you're feeling like you're, you're, something's not right in your life. You know what you should do? Have you tried aromatherapy lotions? Have you put that on your face? Have you done this? And then it's going to say, do this. And it's going to say, subscribe to this. Take these oils and put them on you and pour it in your food. Do this, and that's really going to help you. I'm not saying that stuff is bad, but here's one of the things that they all have in common. None of them last forever, and none of them are sustaining. None of them last forever, and none of them are sustaining. The thing that they're trying to tell you that they can do, they may be momentary. But one of the things that we have to remember is that if we want true peace, if we want true joy, if we want our true perspective to be aligned with who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do, that can only happen in one place, and that's in the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, we're going to a God who does not change, who isn't a trend, who is here to stay forever. In Matthew chapter 11, it says this, come to me, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I love this, and I, I will give you rest. So as we close out this point, let's bring it in the room for just a second. Chances are, while I was, while I was sharing that story, there's some of us, we came up in our mind and we were reminded of things in our life that maybe are distractions current distractions or potential distractions from us being in the presence of God. So there's a fill in the blank to close out this point. And let's go ahead and put it on the screen. This is the question. Am I replacing God with blank? I want you right now to put some, put, like you fill that blank in with what might be in your life or what you know for a fact is, that you might be currently replacing the presence of God with. What's that distraction, that right now distraction, that potential upcoming distraction? Maybe it's work. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's some form of entertainment. What is it in your life that you might be using as a distraction, as a replacement for the presence of God? And I want you to hold on to that this week. I want you to pray over it. I want you to ask God for a realigned perspective. So living a gospel-centered life requires a change of perspective and second, you can fill this in. Point number two, living a gospel-centered life requires a response through transformation. A response through transformation. In Galatians 2, verse 20, it says, The life I now live in the body, I live 
by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What Paul is saying here is that there's something deeper than just a change of perspective. There's something deeper that needs to happen than just your perspective change. He's saying, okay, here's where it starts. You accept Jesus, you say yes to Jesus, and then you realign your perspective and you say, it's off of me and it's onto the Lord, and now I live by faith. And that I live by faith, if you've read the Bible, you've been around church for some time, you've probably heard that phrase before. In the book of Romans, it says this, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. So what do I mean when I say to live by faith, that we're called to be people who live by faith? We're called to live transformed. We're called to be different. We're called to, be a, we're called to go against the, the, the grain of society, what society is telling us to do, who society says we should be, the way we should think, the way we should act, the way we should live our lives, the way we do our finances. We're called to do all of that differently than the way the world is telling us to be and to do. We're called to live differently. We're called to live transformed. In Ephesians chapter four, it tells us this, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted in its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. As one of the pastors here on staff, one of my favorite things to see is when I see people turn against the grain of society and start to live their lives differently than what society is calling them to do and telling them to do. I especially love it when I see a young person do this. You know, young people have a lot, a lot of distractions and challenges that face them. And I love it when I see young people say no to what the world is telling them to do and yes to who God is calling them to be. I was just recently in a tech conversation with a young man from here at the church he had been to our student ministries the night before on Wednesday night, the wave, and um, I, I, God had spoken to him. God had been doing something to this young man's life, and so Thursday morning, he, he wakes up, and he, we start texting, and he starts sharing with me what the Lord's doing and, and what he felt from the message, and, and I wanted to share just this one text that he sent me because this one text is very encouraging. It's incredible to hear. This is what transformation looks like. It's going to be on the screens. This is what this young man said. He said, thanks, bro. I was up thinking about that man, and that message last night, it hit me, and it was challenging. One of the things that I feel was really needing to be given up was social media. I love this. So I got rid of it all. So I got rid of it all. Can I tell you something? I know social media isn't a massive deal to all of us in the room. I know it's not a big deal to all of us, but can I tell you something about young people, teenagers, young adults? It's a big deal. Their lives are centered around social media, what people are saying, the acceptance, the approval. How many likes can I get? Can I show people that I live this really good life and I gotta do this and this is how I communicate. Everybody communicates this way. And this young man said, hey, that's a distraction. That's something I don't wanna be involved in because I don't care what others think about me. I wanna be defined only by God and I'm gonna go against what the, Lord, what, the, what the world is telling me to do and I'm gonna say yes to what the Lord is telling me to do. That's encouraging. That's exciting. 
Chapter 12 of Romans, the author says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Living a transformed life, living by faith isn't easy, it's tricky, it can be difficult. And again, it's okay to be honest, it's okay to admit that. And I have this thought, as I was writing this, I had this thought. You know, here at Vineyard, both online and on-site, we have a big reach. We do, we have a big reach here. And there's a lot that we could do. And my thought was this. What would not only this church, but what would this region look like if all of us together in unison decided to start living by faith? To live differently than what the world is telling us to do. Some of the things I was thinking about was this, our worship would look, in, would look differently. I bet people would walk in here and go, what's going on in that room? The Lord's up to something in that room. Another thought I had was this, is those places that we've been praying over, those things that we, that we see in our area, and our region that we've been praying over, praying and hoping that they would change, that the Lord would show up, I bet they'd change. I bet we'd start to see change in our school. Living by faith is different. Living by faith is going against what the world is saying and saying, I'm gonna live transformed. I'm living differently. Just recently, we got back, uh, our student ministries, our middle schoolers got back from a middle school camp. We had about 30 or so middle schoolers that went to this camp. And on the second night we were there, there was a, a group of young middle school girls sitting in a circle with myself and a couple of the leaders, and they were asking questions, and we were talking to them about what it means to truly, you know, not, have no fear and to follow God, that we're not called to be afraid, that he has not given us a spirit of fear, that we're called to be courageous and bold, and there's no reason to worry and all this stuff. And while we're sharing and while we're talking, I look over and I can see this young middle school girl I can see her looking at me, and she has this look on her face like she's saying, what in the world are you talking about? And we have this saying around here at the vineyard, and the saying is this, what is the Lord doing? And in that moment, as I was looking at this young lady, I could see that the Lord was doing something in her life. I could see that the Lord was doing something. And so we keep sharing, we keep talking, and there comes a moment where Everyone kind of stops talking. We kind of die down. And this young teenage girl, this middle school girl, looks up and she makes eye contact with me. And this is what she says. She says this, how do you have that much faith? How do you live with so much peace that God is in control? Isn't that a great question? That is a great question. A young person looked and was listening to what transformation looks like and what transformation sounds like, was challenged, was encouraged, and said, that's different from what I've been getting taught. That's different. And here's the cool thing. It didn't end there. She saw transformation. She responded to transformation. And the next night, she gave her life to Jesus Christ and said, Jesus is the king of my life. She saw transformation and responded to it. You can fill this in. A transformed life often challenges social norms. A transformed life often challenges social norms. In John chapter 13, 
verse 35, it says this, by this, I love this, everyone will know, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Friends, as we close, I want us to understand something, that we have opportunities, not just now, but every day in our lives, to be people whose lives are gospel-centered, centered around the gospel, the good news, the truth, the reality that Jesus lived on this earth a perfect, sinless life. He died a sinner's death, a death he didn't deserve, and then he was raised to life. And our life should be a response to that. Our life should be centered around that gospel, centered around the good news, that we no longer live with our focus and our perspective and our intentions horizontal. It's not internal, it's not horizontal, but our intentions and our focus and our life is vertical. Focused in on Jesus and who, is, who he has called us to be. Spending time with him, being in the presence of God. Responding to who Jesus is. And that's what it looks like to live a gospel-centered life. So, living a gospel-centered life requires a change of perspective and a response through transformation. With that, we're going to move into a time of ministries. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.